Well, good morning. You couldn't find the stand. There we go. We doing well this morning? How we doing? You know, um, I just want to brag on our church just a little bit. Just kind of tell you what God has done in the last month. Um, we've seen not only one of the best VBSs. Um, I don't know if you're a part of that, but just the, the, the spirit that I felt at, at, the, at the family night and just the, the overall sense of um, community and everybody coming together. It was a special moment to see that in the life of our church through VBS. And then after that, we had, um, we had student camp and I talked about that a little bit about that last week. That was amazing, that was great. Um, and we saw God do some amazing things, we really did. And, and we're actually gonna get the chance next week to baptize. Um, and so I, I was just overwhelmed by that. And last week, if you remember, I lost my voice. That's never really happened before, but hey, it happened. And so I also wanna just tell you one other thing is that if y'all were a part of our family meeting, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, we did um, 100% vote to amend our constitution to allow for lay elders. And I just want you to know that in the day and age that we live in, no one really has anybody do anything at 100%. And so the fact that we had 100% was just, uh, just I was overwhelmed by that. And so uh, thank y'all. And so there's a sense of unity, there's a sense of purpose, uh, there's a sense of what God is doing here at Journey. And so. During this interim time, we see God doing so many different things. And so this morning, we're gonna continue on in Jonah chapter two, and let me just rewind real quick. If you remember two weeks ago, Nathan killed it as he gave us Jonah chapter one. And if you remember the fact that God chases us, he's chasing after us, he, he's the one, the pursuer of us. What an amazing idea that the God of the universe wants to come to us and the relentless pursuit of those that he loves. And so today we're gonna to take that one step farther. If you know anything about Jonah, um, we're gonna be in chapter two this morning. Uh, but before we get started, I just wanna go ahead and just say a couple things about the story of Jonah. Kind of the elephant in the room, if you will, because I think that there's several things that we need to do. There's, there is a, several questions that people ask. And I just want to just put this, this question up here. How do you live in a fish for three days? Let's just be honest. This story gets reduced to being something we study at VBS, kids ministry. Um, it's something you learn as a kid, but you, you never really dive into it. You never really look at this story. And I don't really, I think it's really kind of a, a shame because we're going to talk about this morning that there's a lot going on here in the book of Jonah. And it's not really a historical, uh, it, it's not an allegory, but it's a historical event. And it, it's not a parable, um, it's not a literary device. Uh, Jesus references that, this story. And so everybody loves the story until chapter 2, verse 1. It says this From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And therein lies the problem. What do you do with this? And I, I think that the Bible is full of things that we simply don't understand and we have to put into the supernatural realm. In other words, throughout the Bible, God comes in to the normalcy and changes it. If we see it through the plagues in the Old Testament, if we see it in the miracles of Jesus, we see that there was times that Jesus stepped in and he did something special. My dad and I got in a conversation about this a couple years ago, um, and he, he leads a group of men and, and, and speaks into their lives on a weekly basis and, and um, leads a, a Sunday school class. Um, and so one of the things that in his group that they talked about was how do you deal with this? 
And they did a lot of research. They, they kind of went back and forth. And one thing that you saw was is that it was kind of split. Some of the theologians literally think there's only a few different boxes that you can check with this. First off, the fact that somehow God allowed an environment that you could live inside of a fish. And I remember as a kid and doing the whole like VBS thing, you saw like these ribs and like there was this whole thing that you lived in. And, and, and the Hebrew language doesn't give us a lot of in, insight in this. Why is that? Because all we know is that it was a big fish, right? I've talked about this before, that Hebrew, they weren't really, they weren't really of the sea. They weren't really, they didn't have a lot of words to describe that. They had words to describe many things, but in this context, they don't really have a lot to go by. So we don't know if it was a whale or a shark or whatever, but somehow the first box would have to be that God allowed Jonah to live inside of this fish. And so what I told my dad was, I think that the question is that it's, 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 it's something bigger than that. Because he brought me the idea that some theologians believe that Jonah literally died and was raised. In other words, he came back to life. In other words, he was in there, he was, at the, and he was in despair, he died and then God brought him back. Not as much of a popular view. We're gonna see how Jesus references that and so there's some light to that. But the fact is, we just don't know. But I do know this, it's really where you place the supernatural. All I know is that God intervened and he interjected into time and space, the normalcy, and showed up and showed out and allowed, God, allowed Jonah to go through this situation. And throughout the Bible, there are instances where God disrupted the natural and entered the supernatural. So this morning, I don't know how he did that. But I know that this is a story that we can learn from because there is so much going on here. Next thing is this right here. Was it really three days and three nights? Many of y'all have asked that. And you'd have to understand that in Matthew 12, Jonah is talked about by Jesus. And Jonah, he says Jonah was, in the, in, Jonah was three days and three nights in the stomach of the big fish. The son of man will be there three days and three nights in the grave also. So we know this idea when we talk about three days and three nights, what does that mean? Does that mean, because if we count the time that Jesus was on the cross all the way to Sunday, that's not our definition of three days. And you have to understand the Jewish culture. You have to understand that we understand linear time, but things were not like that. Things were much more cyclical in the way that they told stories. And this was what we would call a Jewish idiom. In other words, it's basically a weekend. It's a roundabout time. It was a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday, or whatever the time frame might be. But you could see that it's not supposed to be definite. That is a very Western idea and a modern idea that you didn't see in that. So why is that important? Because I think if we're going to handle the text this morning, we've got to be honest to say, the way this is written, it doesn't line up with the way that sometimes we think. And you have to put yourself in the mind of the Jewish culture that was written. I'll give you two overarching themes also that as we enter in this, but they're super important. The story of Jonah really reflects life. It's messy. Because if we would just go by just the, 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 the child's story, we understand the, sto uh, the story of Jonah, but really, there's so much more going on here. Chapter one, we see that God, re really we see that Jonah runs from God. We, we, we covered that two weeks ago. And today we're gonna see that Jonah runs to God. Chapter three, he runs with God. 
In chapter four, he really runs against God. Chapter four is the wrench that we're gonna throw into this whole story and this whole equation. Why? Because sometimes the story represents what real life looks like. In other words, when somebody surrenders and gives everything to God, like as we see in this, that doesn't mean that they are always in the best, they have the best attitude and outlook on the way that God would use them. And in chapter four, we see that very thing. The last thing I want you to see is that God is 100% in control. Why is that important? This isn't like this just happened. God worked through the circumstances and brought about his purposes. Right, in verse, in chapter two, it said, and the Lord commanded a fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land, right? In chapter one, it says, and the Lord provided a huge fish for to swallow Jonah. And so God provided that. In other words, God showed up. He is 100% in control in this story. And so as we talked about what is the purpose of Jonah, we have to see this very thing right here. It is really all about the character and nature of God. The story of Jonah demonstrates God's ultimate power and character. We miss that sometimes. And then we get to chapter two. And that's where you have to understand that really Jonah is just singing a song. This whole chapter two is it written just like a Psalms. And if you look at it even more closely, it looks like Psalms 139, a lot of it. We would know that Psalms 139 would come later and this would show that. It has a lot of the same crying out. So I ask this question to y'all in this room this morning. If, you, if we would, could go around and figure out the one time in your own life that you would say, man, I was at the top of the world. When would that be? And then if I could ask the opposite question is, when would you say that you've been at the lowest point of your life? I can remember exactly the point of my life. I could say that. It was calling my, my at the time, my girlfriend, Brenna, my fiance in Houston, Texas. And my dad had just had this experimental surgery and it hit and didn't go well. And I remember they didn't know if he was ever gonna go back to normal and we did not know what the future would look like. And I remember in desperation crying out to God, and that's literally what you have here. You see a desperation not only for help, but you also see a desperation that God would intervene, that God would hear you. We turn to prayer. So I'm gonna read this to you in its entirety because I think that's the best way this morning for you to see this song that Jonah cries out. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into your depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled around me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threaten me. The water surrounds me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought, me, brought my life up out of the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you and rose, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. 
To those who cling to worthless idols, turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice you. What I've vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commands the fish, and he vomited Jonah into dry land. When you read something like that, you see the desperation of the situation. And I think this morning, what we're going to look at, we're going to talk about two different groups of people, and we'll get to that in just a second, but you can already start to see the desperation. And it was a situation that just kept going down, right? And so as he goes down to Joppa in chapter one, and then he goes into the ship, goes down into the ship, and then as he goes down into the sea, you see that there is a progression that things are just kind of deteriorating. Things are falling apart. You know, it, it's amazing to me that the first thing that Jonah did was he turned to God in his time of rebellion and he turned back to God in prayer. And we really have been making prayer kind of a focal point here at Journey because I feel like it is the way to figure out exactly what the future would hold and where God is in, in this situation. Yet, I doubt that Jonah had much interaction in his own prayer life before this. Jonah turned to God because there was no hope. It, about halfway through, you start to see that there is a surrender that takes place, right? In, chapter four, in verse four, it says, I've, I've been banished from your sight yet I will look again towards your holy temple. There is a shift that goes on because at some point he starts to realize there is no other hope. There is no one else coming. What an odd situation to find yourself in, yet I think that for the first time, grace beneath the waves really does take form. And we see the very idea that grace can show up in the strangest places. Grace can show up in every aspect of your life but the idea of grace, that as it enters into you know, stage right, as it enters to the for forefront of this story, you're gonna see that it is the thing that changes everything. By definition, I wanna give you this definition. This is, um, this is uh, Ben Stewart's definition of this. And so he's got this amazing definition of this. It says, when undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift, the response is gratitude and joy. I love that because what is it saying? That, that had nothing to do with Jonah's actions. It had everything to do with the giver. And then after that, the response shouldn't be, well, I can't accept this or I can't, I, I can't this isn't gonna work. It's to take it in and have gratitude and to have joy. See, grace chases us down, but then, and then but after that, grace gives I don't know how many of y'all actually still follow the band U2 because I feel really old when I say that. But the reality is I'm a Gen Xer and that's, that's kind of my, my, my thing. Um, but going through many concerts at U2, I love to watch interviews of Bono. And my wife gets real cringy. She's like, ah, oh, don't talk about Bono again. Uh, you know, it's, it's that band, it's kind of old. I don't know if it translates, I don't know if it's good. But I love the fact that he talks about grace. 
So he's, he's being interviewed and he's asked about, he kept bringing up faith and they were getting frustrated and they were like, why are you bringing up faith again? Um, but, but he said this, he said, it's a mind blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. And then the interviewer asked, what's, what's that? He said, in the center of all religion is the idea that karma, you know, whatever you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. Yet the idea of grace is different because love disrupts the consequences of my actions, which is in my case is very good news of all the things I've done. And I've done a lot of stupid things over the years. And then the interview said, like, what things have you done? And Bono said, that's between me and God. But he said, I would be in big trouble if karma was gonna be my judge. It does not make excuse excuses for the mistakes that I've made, but I'm holding out for grace and I'm waiting for that. With grace, there is hope. See, the idea of karma, which is really just a figment of our imagination, is that whatever you give, it comes back, but the reality is grace comes first. It's the thing that shows up, it delivers on time, every time. He then wrote the words, grace. She takes the blame, she covers the shame, she removes the stain. Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. God makes beautiful things out of ugly things. So this morning when we start to look at the idea and the recipients of grace, you have to ask yourself, I understand that I have been in church or maybe I haven't but I still understand. I just wanna put this in context that a lot of us have a hard time forgiving or of receiving grace from God and then other people would have a hard time thinking other people deserve it. Doing this study, I saw that the name John Newton came up several times, if you know that story. Old guy, born in 1775, and he grew up in a religious home, mom was a believer, dad was not. And he was literally the definition of a drunken sailor. Now I don't know, I'm sure this is, there's some hyperbole here, but he could cuss for two straight hours without repeating himself, which you gotta give him credit, that's pretty impressive. Um, but he was the definition of a terrible person. And then on the coast of Africa, when he was, he was abandoned, and then he was actually made a slave for two years. He was tortured, he was starved, and then finally he became free from that. So you think this is the moment that John received grace and turned, like we see in Jonah, not exactly. Well, after that, he learned what he had saw being a slave, he became a, trade, a slave, slave trader. Things even get even worse. He buys and sells men and women, children for profit. He splits up families for money. And at one point, his whole, everyone on, his, on, on the boat hated this guy, he was a terrible human. I think the word we would probably use today is monster. And then all of a sudden, one day, a storm came when he was in the middle of this, this slave trading, because that's what, that's what God does, right? A lot of times he shows up in a storm. I think that's why this works so perfectly. And he realized that he was gonna die, and he said three words, God, help me. 
somehow he, he survived and he got very sick and um, he, um, he had nothing. He didn't have his career, he didn't have his family. He went back home and he walked into a room just like this on a Sunday and he heard the message of grace. We're known many things about John, but if you know one thing that he was a pastor and he worked to abolish slavery, became a very active voice in that, but then you probably know him for the words he wrote. That's amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me, like a monster like that guy. We're not just talking about that grace is just for the normal person, the churchgoer. I'm talking for the people that you think it's not for you. That's who grace is for. I was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. Amazing words that you hear because what? A storm showed up just like in Jonah. There's two different groups of people this morning that I think that this story is for. Number one, is the idea that grace brings redemption. In other words, in the same boat, the person that you think there's no way, hey Kevin, you just do whatever you're doing up here, that's awesome, I'm gonna cheer that on, but that's not me, I'm gonna be, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna be apart from that. That's who grace is for. The redemption, the redemptive power of Jesus that we're gonna see in just a minute, that's category number one. You think that grace is not for you. You think that you've gone too far. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. So what do you do? You start singing. C.S. Lewis, he entered into this conversation too. If you know anything about it, he was asked, of all the world religions, what's the one thing that, what's the contribution of Christianity? He said, that's very easy, it's grace. See, in every other religion, it's about what we're doing But with Christianity, grace is different. It's the unmerited favor of God, unconditional love that has been given to the undeserving. It's grace. So you see this picture here, and you see that he did stop. He realized he had gone too far and that God had gotten his attention. So you could literally see that this fish was a vessel in a lot of ways to bring him back to the path that he should be on. Can God change you? He can. Verse four, he says this. I say, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. And then later on, he talks about the holy temple. Why in the world are you in the ocean and you're talking about a temple? Who cares? Well, see, if to somebody like Jonah, it was everything. He was a Hebrew, so he saw the center of the world was Israel. It's the one place that three continents come together on one land bridge, right? It's, it's, it's the center of the world, but in the center of the world was Israel. In the center of Israel was Jerusalem. And in the center of Jerusalem was a building, it was a temple. In the center of that temple, there was a room, the Holy of Holies. If any of y'all have studied this, the place that God dwelt, and this was a symbolic place that God was. The, the tangible presence of God was there 
And this is the way that God dealt with his people. And in that room, there was a box. And if y'all know, the, the Ark of the Covenant is there. And the part of the temple that, that a lot of us really get confused is that a lot of people don't understand that a lot of it was about sacrifices, about people showing up and offering things to God. And we can't relate to that. We're not under the same covenant or law, understand that that's the way that God would work. But in this day and age, looking back, he worked in the same exact way that was full of grace. So once a year, a priest would enter into the room, a room that was so holy because of the righteous God and, and, and his commandments were in this box. And the, the priest would have to cleanse himself and get himself ready to enter into that room. And then once a year, he would enter into that. And on top of the box, if y'all know anything about it, it, there is a lid there. It's called a hilasterion. Or some of y'all have maybe heard the word mercy seat. And that priest would take the, the blood of the lamb and he would, he would put it on top of the lid. And it represented a couple things. Of all the things that, the, that God's people had done, there had been a, a penalty. A price had been paid for that penalty. So then when God looked down, he didn't see a broken law. All he saw was a sacrifice that had been paid. And all of a sudden then, there was a covering and people could commune with God. A relationship with God could happen because of that. That was what he was calling out when he said, you're holy temple. He understood that. We forget sometimes that he is a prophet and not necessarily by the words that he said, but by the life that he lived. He was very specific in that way. He didn't have all these things to say. Usually a, a, a prophet in the Old Testament would speak. But here what we have is, is the fact that God used his life to show people their own condition. Romans three kind of flushes this out and it says in verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. It's grace. I believe that that is why Jonah is quoted by Jesus. I think that because he, he references a few times because what is he literally saying? He's saying, I'm the one that is gonna go into the depths of the water and I'm the one that's gonna stay there for three days and I'm the one that's gonna rise again See, there was this beautiful picture that was going on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the one that does this because you cannot do this for yourself. You're never too far from God. I think sometimes we forget that. New Testament then, it gives us this other idea. The word hagios, the Greek word, I remember sleeping through it in, in Greek back in the day, but I remember this one thing, is that the word saint, Throughout the New Testament, the, every time that we talked about the believers, we talked about the saints, Hagios. And that same idea was given to even the people, even like the church at Corinth, who if you know anything about it, is basically a soap opera. They didn't have it together. There was dysfunction. There was abuse of what the church was supposed to be. 
And let's just say it this way, a lot of the people were not walking with what God would have for a New Testamental church to look like, but he called even them saints. Why? Maybe because it's the title that God gave them because of the grace that they received, not because of their own merit or action. Our idea of what we have to do in church and we have to do all of these things, I wanna change that reality today. You've gotta see that God did everything on the cross. He did all the heavy lifting. He was the one that came to us. He was the one that came out of the waters and rescued Jonah. And he's the same one that does that for me and you. So the first group of people, the people that need redemption through the blood of Jesus, perfect picture of that through Jonah. The second group of the people, maybe it's somebody else in this room today, you would say, Kevin, I'm already walking with God, but there's times in my life that I don't really live that out. And then you find yourself in certain situations where you need rescue. So there's redemption and there's rescue. You know, there's rescue for us just in our situation that somehow we found ourselves in. And it would not be very hard to go around and see just how broken the New Testament church was then and is now, even in this room. We need rescue. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the depths in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. God in his attributes wants to intervene in your situation. If it's, if it's mental illness, that's the thing that I'm dealing with a lot with teenagers right now. We just got back from camp. There was a study that came out of Columbia University a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, and then later on, there was a new, another study that, that kind of reinforced that the first of this year, that we're living in a different day and age, right? And so this is, this is the, the, the graph that we're given, and if you see anything about this, this is what I want you to see, that we live in a different situation than we, did, we have in years past. This is among teenagers and the amount of depression, the amount of symptoms that come from that. And you can see how it really has skyrocketed since 2011. What happened in 2011? Well, for teenagers, the saturation of social media showed up. That's when they believed that it took root. And so the idea of social media, even today, has taken root, has kind of been at young females' expense. I, this is the nicest one I could find. The rest of the graphs that I had were much worse than this. The reality is this right here. The day that we live in is so much different than we would even comprehend 10 years ago. I don't know about you, but I know that of Generation Z that we're currently at, and now if you have a, if you have a child that was born in 2010 or after, it's Generation Alpha, 
is the next generation. We don't even know what their characteristics are, but we have a lot of work to do. There's a lot of hurt. Because the, the one graph that I'm not, I didn't show you is that overall, among all ages, we see the depression. Mental illness is up. This, isn't a, this is not a social media talk. I've done those before, but the reality is I showed you this this morning to see one thing, that there is a God that wants to come to our rescue, the one that came out of the depths, the one that met Jonah where he was. Now, that's one of the interesting things that Jonah did not have to create a place for God to meet him, but he was met by God where he was. And we have very difficult days ahead with our teenagers and with the young 20s. So I put this in front of you. Is there a place in your own life that you say, I need rescue? Maybe you'd use this term, I'm at the end of my rope. That is the God who loves, that is the God who shows grace, and as his character is shown in the book of Jonah that continues on today. Be praying for our teenagers. My college roommate, he writes songs for a living, whatever that looks like, but he, he, wrote, this, um, he wrote this song right before the pandemic. And the one conversation that I had with him about this song, um, was it had to do with being, he got with two of his other friends and they write songs for a living too and, and all that. But he wrote these words in a very dark place. A place that a lot of times in church we try to act like everything is just great and the reality is it's not. He said these words, you saw my condition. I had a plan from the start your son for redemption, the price of my heart. I don't have the context, but I know that I need you now. So I run to the Father again and again and again. If you would find yourself in a situation, you would say, I am in desperate need. I am at the end of my rope. There is a God in his attributes and his love that stepped out of heaven and he walked on this earth and he died on a cross to be that sacrifice so that when God looks down, he doesn't see Kevin, the, the broken human, he sees somebody that's whole because there was a price that was paid. So if that's for the first time you'd say that that is redemption, I want you to know that there is grace, there's grace at the cross. And then for those that continually find themselves in this place, I want you to know that no one is too far gone and that we all struggle, and that we all have our problems, and I believe that we can worship, and we can rely on a God, a God of rescue. So I don't know the situation, but I do believe that there is a lot of context to allow God to be able to fill in the gaps as he did in this story. Now next week, Nathan's gonna take this story, and we're gonna see how all these people were saved, and it was awesome, because Jonah turned, but in the moment, the messiness of this song right here, you see the reality of life. Grace comes through and meets you where you're at.
Let's go ahead and pray. I think that when we talk about two different groups of people, those that needs grace, they don't think it's for them, it's for them. If you've been running for a long time and you do not know if you're in Christ, I want you to know that there is hope for, for you. Doesn't make you a bad person in any regard. It just means that you need a savior the same way that I needed grace and a savior. So this morning, I pray that if that's you, I would love to talk to you. You come to the cross because he met you where you're at. And you can turn just as Jonah turned. And the second group of people, I think in a lot of ways is probably all of us, different parts in our own lives. If that is you this morning, I want you to know if you are at the end of your rope, if you are in a difficult situation through marriage issues, through illness, a wayward son and daughter, there's a God that brings rescue, a God that brings comfort. There's a God that can restore. He can make all things new. And this morning, I pray that he would make things new. God, this, this morning, I pray that you would do business with us as we sing. God, I pray that you would bring us to a place of surrender. If that means coming and just kneeling at the, the altar, something we normally don't do at Journey, the reality is it shows so much of our heart. Before God, just to allow other people to come and pray for you. If that's you, I'm gonna ask that you you be sensitive to that and you respond the way that God is, is, is calling you. And if you need to meet Christ, if you don't know where you belong, if you've got questions in that, we'd love to talk to you as well. God, we just love you in this place. Thank you for the, the thing called grace. Thank you for a second chance. Thank you that you gave me that just as you gave everybody that's a recipient of grace. God, today I pray that we can meet you as you met us. In your name we pray, amen.